Father, as we sit here, as we wait in awe to hear from you, I pray that you would help to make your word clear. Would you make it lucid? May you make our understanding expand. And help us, Lord, to grab hold of the depth in which you sink to get us. We'd ask also, Lord, that you would have this Easter time, this resurrection day, be real to us, not something that we just associate with rabbits and eggs and baskets and food and ham, things like that. But we had asked, Lord, that you would help us to really weigh the gravity of what has taken place so many years ago. And we ask, Lord, that it would affect us in such a way that we would be your witnesses here, that we would tell others about you, that we would rejoice over the salvation that you have brought to us. So, Lord, guide us, lead us, bless the fellowship here today and all the churches that are meeting around the world to celebrate this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, this idea of storytelling, Jesus often went through use of parables and metaphors and symbolism to describe truth. And he did that to illuminate the truth, to bring understanding to the individuals. He did it often when he spoke. And the best stories, which we either read or we watch, they usually have a common theme. It's the basic storyline, the same story. It starts out that life is good, everything is wonderful, and then something goes desperately or tragically wrong. Happiness, my computer just shut off here. What? Close. There it is. Okay, we're back. So happiness, life, and love, the very existence is forever threatened when this tragedy or this complication comes along. A hero or a heroine comes along and saves the day, and all is restored, and the evil or the agent of maliciousness is vanquished forever. That's usually the greatest stories ever told. Those stories are incorporated into the biggest blockbuster movies that are out there. You may have heard me talk about this before. If you remember that movie that was so long ago, E.T., remember that? This individual came from outer space, came down to earth, was received by one or a few, talked of a message and how he went around healing with his little finger. Things were restored. Then he went and died. Then he rose again. He came to life and said, I will live in you, the little boy. And he said, I'm going away and I will come back one day and see you again. The Lord's calling, so we can go ahead and get that if you like. (laughs) And so that's one of the stories. Tron, the one that was real old like that. Same thing. Somebody came, a user came uh, down to where the programs were, lived amongst the programs, raised people from the dead, went back and said, come back again. And so this greatest story ever told has been repeated over and over because it's the story of Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, I have such a story. Now, according to the Bible, who is 
not only good, but perfect, created perfectly man and woman. God is perfect, and he created a perfect man and woman to exist on this earth. Everything was wonderful. You had this beautiful garden. You had the most handsome of men that was there. And the woman, well, she was a knockout, to say the least. And they were frolicking in the garden, and they had no clothes on. It was just paradise. And they ate from the fruit of the trees that were there. It was just wonderful. And they even had direct fellowship with God. Now, I'm going to go into a few points here. The few points that I'm going to start with, the number one is we're broken. That perfect story that was set up in the beginning fell apart. Now, let me just give you a few reasons why I think we're broken. It is a hostile place for our existence, this world, the creation. If you stay outside in the elements long enough, those same elements will kill us. If you're out in the sun for too long, it will kill you. If you're out in the cold for too long, it will kill you. If you're in the water for too long, it will kill you. We need shelter. Wild animals, insects, viruses, and bacteria can all take our lives. Just go down to Australia. Everything there wants to kill you. (laughs) Our own bodies eventually betray our good health. We all eventually get sick, and we succumb to one or more illnesses that we contract. The more advanced we are in our technology and in the industrial age, the weaker we seem to be in combating the ravages and effects of earthquakes, floods, famines, disease, tsunamis, landslides, fires, volcanoes, and the like. We have no control over those things. World governments seek to enslave their people by heavy-handed control. They seek to enslave the masses, and those who resist are wiped out. There are heart-wrenching stories. All you have to do is do a little research, and you can find stories such as this. Remember Dr. Laura? In the year 2000, April 10th, she had a woman who called in on the national radio station and asked the host if it was all right to ask her best friend to be the guardian of her two one-year-old twin boys. Dr. Laura then proceeded to inquire further as to the reason for the question. The young woman, 25 years old, explained that she had cancer, which was leukemia, and may not survive. When asked about her husband, she responded that he, a fireman, died three months ago in a terrible car accident. When questioned about the availability of grandparents, she said her parents had died and her late husband's parents would not have anything to do with them because they lived in a bad part of town that was racially mixed And her in-laws were extremely prejudiced. That's just one tragic story. And we probably have half a dozen that we could tell ourselves. Suicide attempts in the year 2017 in the USA were 1,400,000. That's just the United States. Over the last 3,400 years, there have been 268 years of peace. The rest of the time, there has been war. Outer space and all the planets we know are hostile to life. We cannot exist on those planets which are out there for any length of time. It is said that when the astronauts go outside their capsules or outside the space station and they get back in, the smell that they smell is like burnt metal out there because that's all the stars that are just burning and thin, putting out the gases that are out there. It is a very hostile place. Everything that we accumulate or own, 
will rot, rust, decay, mold, or return to the most basic elements and state of existence from which it was created. Nothing will last. No one except for only two people have ever escaped death. And the law of entropy will eventually cause the universe and all life contained in it to die. Now, I could continue, but all I would accomplish is making you all quite depressed and not very encouraged. And there is a good line at the end of the story here. So how did our world come to reside in such a state, and how did everything get broken? Everything is on a track of decay and falling apart and going to be destroyed. Well, it began in the garden. If you want to turn over to Genesis chapter 1, I'll read just a couple of verses out of chapter 1 and chapter 3. But when God created everything, he liked it. He looked at the, the landscape and the people and the animals and the sky and the stars and the moon and everything that was up there, and he said, it is good. It says this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, on the sixth day of creation. It says, and God saw all that he made, and it was not just good, it was very good. And I can imagine everything was perfect at that time. But then turn over to chapter 3. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, we have this wily character show up. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat of the tree in the garden or any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, you may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is where we get what is theologically known as original sin. Both Adam and Eve fell. The woman was deceived, but Adam fell willingly. He knew what he was doing was wrong. The woman didn't really know what she was doing was wrong. She was reasoned with, and she said, okay, well, that sounds good, and she got deceived in the process. But Adam knew what he had done is wrong, and so because of this, there has been sin imputed to every generation that comes after Adam and Eve. They now had after the fall, they received after the fall, or they lost eternal life in their physical bodies, and they got what is known as the original sin, or this is called the fall of humankind. And so whenever they had kids, the fallen nature that they now possess would be passed to every single child that would ever be born. And the universe itself came under the laws of entropy or heat loss, and everything would eventually wind down. That was the cause of the curse. And so this tendency to sin innately in all human beings, it is present with all of us. You don't have to teach a child to be bad. You have to teach a child to be good. You ever get two toddlers together? Just give them a few moments and they'll demonstrate that they're not good. They will fight and they will argue and they will push each other. And you, I don't have to explain that too much to those of you who are in here. Now, it is borne out in Scripture as well that we are all fallen, that we are, none of us are good. 
In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every single inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. So every thought that mankind possess back in the book of Genesis, it was evil continually they were just looking for something bad to do or something that would violate God's law which had not arrived yet but they knew right and wrong and they decided they were just going to do wrong Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 it says there is no one righteous no not one no one who does right no one who understands no one who seeks after God all have turned away and gone astray And so unless God reached out to us, each one of us in here would say, I want nothing to do with God. I have activities on the weekend I want to take care of. There are hobbies that I want to get involved in. There are other things out there. And God says, the whole human race has gone astray. And this has continued since the days of creation and the fall. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Matthew chapter 19, verse 17, we find out that there is only one who is good. Jesus said, why do you ask me what about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. And of course, we know that that is God himself. So none of us are good. So creation is broken. And secondly, we have betrayed God by our sin. We have gone our own way. We have not followed behind what God wants to do. We have decided that the way we want to live is the best way. We even go so far to say God doesn't exist and I'm going to do things because there's no accountability. I'm going to fall into sin because I get to fall into sin and I get to experience all the pleasure which is out there that the world has to offer. And so... We also understand in Romans chapter 6 verse 23 that the wages of sin or what somebody would pay us because we are sinful, it's like a punishment that comes to us. The wages of that is death. That's why we all die. We eventually run the course in this life and we all die. Remember, I just said, all except for two people. Now, will those two people come back in the future and maybe be the prophets in the book of Revelation? We don't know. If it's going to be those two individuals that come back, Elijah and either Enoch or Moses, we don't know who it's going to be because Moses did in fact die, but Enoch and Elijah did not. Now, I want to illustrate the dilemma we are in. Imagine for a moment you have a Yugo or a Fiat or a first-generation Mini Cooper, and you're driving that thing along, And you come to a railroad crossing. And at that railroad crossing, right as you go to cross it, the car dies. And somebody had thrown nails all over the road and all your tires went flat. And you had some electrical systems in there and you can't open the windows. And you're sitting on the tracks. Now imagine this is the case. The engine is blown up. The tires, they are deflated. The doors are jammed and you cannot break the windows. Some people think, well, you know what? If I just dust off the dashboard, if I clean the floorboards, if I make sure the window on the inside is clean, I'm going to be okay. And you say, what are you talking about? That's what we have a tendency to do. We are in the middle of the tracks, and and I'm speaking generally as the human race, not all of us necessarily in here. But as the human race, our vehicle, our life, is on these train tracks 
and there's a freight train coming. And we think, I know, all I have to do is clean the dashboard, clean the window, clean the floorboards, and everything's going to be just fine. If I just pray enough, if I go to church enough, if I do enough good works, everything's going to be fine. And we've never gotten out of the car. We think that by bettering ourselves, by ourselves, we're going to be okay, even though a train's coming. We rely on our works. We, if we turn to somebody and we say, you're a good person. We just read scripture says there are no people who are good. But we get this idea. Well, if I just do something, it will be better. You're just cleaning the window on the inside, removing the dust, and vacuuming up the floorboards. And we think, ah, this is going to be just fine. And there's one thing that goes along with this. There's a guy right on the other side of the tracks, and he happens to have a tow truck. And he's holding this hook, and he's looking at you inside the car. And he goes, you want some help? And what do you say in the car? Not you, but humanity. No, I got this. I'm cleaning the dashboard. I'm vacuuming up the floorboards. I'm washing the windows. Everything's good. And he's going, are you sure? I'll, I'll help you. No, you just stay right there. I'm all good. We might even, metaphorically speaking, be in the car saying, I don't even need to clean the windows, dust the dashboard, or clean the floorboards because the train doesn't exist. And I'm going to be just fine. That judgment is not going to come down the tracks. I'm going to be okay. It's kind of like, blah, 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 blah. Don't speak to me or see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. You just ignore everything around you. It's the ostrich in the sand type of thing. And you hear in the distance that train whistle coming down the tracks. And the guy starts pleading with you saying, hey, I'll give you this hook. And next to him, are several individuals throwing up their hands going, grab the hook, get the hook. Who would those people be? All of you. You're standing next to the man with the tow truck and you're pleading with the man in the tow truck for the individual inside the car to get the hook, to allow them to get the hook and pull the car out of the way, which is your life. That car is your life. And I don't have time to deal with this and with this ongoing train. It doesn't, excuse me, doesn't anyone see that I have some posting on Facebook to do, some Instagram to do? My makeup isn't right. I have to practice my drama and my badminton racket needs to be restrung. I have to do all these things inside of my little Mini Cooper, you go, whatever it is. And you think that's going to solve the problem. I'm going to get involved in everything else in the world. I can't be distracted with that train coming down the track. I can't be distracted with that man in front of the car who wants to give me a hook and all those people yelling, what's wrong with you people? Do you see how it works? And our lives, all of us, at one time, were inside the Mini Cooper or the Yugo or the Fiat that just broke down. And the ones who get saved, they say, yeah, I'll, I'll take some help. Yeah, please hook up my car and pull me away and get me out of this thing with the jaws of life. Of course, it's Jesus Christ and his life that is provided for us. But most of the world will sit on those train tracks, dust off the top of the, the, the 
car there and clean the windows and clean the floorboards or string their badminton racket or just deny that they're even on the train tracks. And this idea that is there somebody really like that? Well, all of you are a testimony to that. But in Scripture, there's a guy like this. In Acts chapter 16, please turn over there and we'll read about this little story here. What happens here is Paul and Silas are going out giving the gospel and arguing for the faith that Jesus Christ, that he is the Messiah, and they are thrown in prison as a result of this. And in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, as they're languishing in prison, not so much languishing, but they were enjoying their stay. Imagine that. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. They had a little worship session going on. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and all at once the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors, he threw or he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all of his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. And so we see how the earth is broken. We see how we have betrayed the love of God. But here are sincere acts of benevolence or kindness or generosity. Now, the benevolence of Paul and Silas, they preserved the life of this jailer. They could have easily said, let's get out of here. The chains fell off. They, they could have run from that place. But Paul, being a Roman citizen, would have known that if they escaped, the jailer would have been killed because he lost his prisoners. Even if there was an earthquake, you might say, well, that's not fair. Well, life's not fair. That's how they treated the guards back then. And so this benevolence was in turn returned by the jailer. He got saved and he goes, you know, I am so thankful for what you guys have brought to me, Paul and Silas, that I'm going to tend your wounds. I'm going to take you to my house, fed them, made sure that they were taken care of well. And then... He was so excited for the fact that he was saved. He was filled with joy. He at some time said, you need to tell this to my family. You see how the benevolence came through Paul and Silas to the jailer, from the jailer to the family. The family ended up getting saved, and they all got baptized. And we owe it all to Paul and Silas? No, we owe it all to Jesus Christ himself. He was the one that originally went to the cross died, was buried, rose from the dead, his benevolence, his grace, his mercy towards us is what caused Paul and Silas to go out, which caused the jailer to go get the family and his family got saved. This is how it's supposed to work. If we are an individual that is in that car and we ask Jesus Christ to hook up our car and pull us off of those tracks, 
How do you know that you're really saved? Because of the love that is inside and the gratitude just overflows into good works towards others. The things of the world go by the wayside. Not that we can't enjoy our lives here. God died, Jesus died, so that we have, might have life and have it more abundantly. So go out and have a hootenanny. Go out and, you know, if you want to ride horses, race cars, whatever it is, bicycles, whatever you'd like to do, just go have fun. But all of that is secondary to what Jesus has done for us, which should motivate us to go out to others. Now, there are so many people that say the prayer, that confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead and they think they're saved. But you know there's no fruit. There's no visible sign that they are actually saved. The language is the same. The actions are the same. The hobbies, the pursuits are all the same. And church is secondary. Now in case at this point you're packing your bags for a guilt trip You know, if guilt comes to last and rests on your lap and it's appropriate, don't let it. That's the answer. You don't come to church and say, well, you know, I I come twice a year. I'm a CEO Christian. Christmas and Easter, and you know, that's, that's what I do. You know, if you're here, thank you for coming. It's wonderful to have you here. I hope you are blessed beyond measure. I hope you are filled with joy like the jailer. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. So if you're heaping guilt upon yourself, if you're saved, just knock it off your head. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But those who the Holy Spirit works on, he speaks to the heart. It's like, what are you doing with your life? Are you giving your life to me? That's what the Holy Spirit says, because the Holy Spirit is the one who is ruling and guiding over the church, doing the will of Jesus Christ according to the will of the Father. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to give our bodies over to him, our very thoughts, our very actions, all of those things. Now, we are receivers of this benevolence. We are the benefactors. Where we were previously stuck on the tracks... And there was no way for us to get off of there. Jesus comes at that particular time and says, I will save you if you will let me. But there's so many who just choose not to. They don't want to be part of what God has in store. And so with this benefit, these benefactors in Mark chapter 16, I believe that that was, or one of the gospels was the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, in Mark chapter 16, turn over there. We'll read this real quickly. Mark chapter 16, this is one of the versions. Which, which version did you read today, Pat? Of, of the gospel, the resurrection. 20? Luke 20? <clears throat> okay. In Mark chapter 16, this is what happens after Jesus was crucified. Now, by our reckoning and our calendar, Jesus would have been crucified on Friday. We call that Good Friday. And on Saturday, he would have been in the grave. And on Sunday, today, early in the morning, right at sunrise, he would have risen from the dead over 2,000 years ago. Now, it just so happens this year that it coincides with Passover. Not every year does it coincide with Passover, but that's why Jesus came. He was the Passover lamb to take away the sins of the world that we might have relationship with God. So in Mark chapter 16, this starts... With the Sabbath being over, verse six, or chapter 16, verse 1, says, Mary Magdalene, 
Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body very early on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, just after sunrise. They were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So Jesus rose early on the first day of the week. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterwards, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven. As they were eating, he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands and they will drink deadly poison. By the way, I don't recommend that. It will not hurt them at all and they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. And of course, the disciples, the apostles, they did many miracles in the name of Jesus Christ. And so that's that's the resurrection story. He comes out of the grave. They don't believe it. Jesus, when he shows up to his disciples, he rebuked them for their lack of faith. I told you I was going to do this. Why didn't you guys believe? Well, I don't know. Well, he told me I probably didn't happen. You could see them just going, it was John. No, it was Peter. You know, they are probably just going back and forth, maybe arguing a little bit. And Oh, well, but we're just happy to see him. he's alive. And that meant he had power over death. Now, another gospel talks about when Jesus was crucified, at the point he was crucified, <coughs> excuse me, people came out of the graves in Jerusalem, got up, and walked into town. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Could you imagine somebody coming out of the grave? little dirt all over them, you know, whatever the case might have been. And they're going, hey, I'm back. Back from the dead zombie land. Well, no, no, they're not zombies. They were resuscitated. They were not the walking dead. And they also were not resurrected. They had to go through death a second time. All for the glory of Jesus Christ. If Jesus asked you, after you were dead, to come back to life and have to die again, would you say yes? Well, I would. I wouldn't like it very much. But I would say that all for the glory of God. And these people were probably thrilled. Now, I would want to know, where were you? You know, how you just showed back up what's going on. But this was clearly a miracle. And of course, we know that the centurion, he truly was the son of God. He had such an impact even to this day. Christianity is the largest religion in the world, largest monotheistic religion. And, and God, we give him all the glory for that because he's the one 
that saves. He's the one that blesses. He's the one that fills us full of joy. And when we hear things we don't want to hear from the scripture, we should just say, you know, Lord, you're right. I need help. And he promises to help us. He promises to bring us along in our discipleship. And as I said earlier, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're not getting it right, hey, you just say, God, help me to get it right. He goes, okay, I'll help you. But you're not going to be perfect until you get your new body. And you say, oh, okay. He goes, don't worry, I got this. Just like the guy who would stay in the car and say, I got this, only that's false. Jesus does have this, and he gives us a gift he gives us his Holy Spirit when we ask him to save us. And he says in Second Corinthians 5.5, 5, he gives us the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing that which is to come. So if you're truly saved, there's no way you can lose your salvation because if God guarantees it, then it's sure. Now in closing this out here before we receive communion, why did Jesus have to do that? Why couldn't we just show up and say, God, forgive me. I don't know why God set it up the way he did. If I was God, I don't think I would have done it that way. But of course, I'm not God. Thank God for that. But, but it, it's this idea that in the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament was set up so that we might understand why Jesus had to be the one to come. In the Old Testament, they had to select a lamb and especially on Yom Kippur, that lamb had to be without defect. And when it was without defect, they would slaughter the lamb and they would pour the blood over the altar. Because in the Old Testament, God said that there is no atoning for sin without the shedding of blood. And life is in the blood, so if there is sin, a life must be given for that sin. And that means if all of us were here, some people ask the question, well, why doesn't God just remove evil? If he did, he'd remove all of us. We would not be going to heaven. And see, there is none of us who can appear before a holy God and offer a blood sacrifice. Only Jesus, who was God incarnate, who never sinned, was able to offer blood that was pure. It was not tainted in any way. So God himself had to be the sacrifice for us, which shows how merciful he is. And so Jesus had to be the one. He came, was the sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb, like on the Passover. And by the way, when the lamb was being prepared, the day of preparation, that's when Jesus was crucified. When Passover was here, that's when he was in the grave. When the Sabbath was over, that's when he rose from the dead. And it should have been just the most stark of signs for the Jews. He was crucified during the preparation of the Lamb. And they didn't get it, or they just didn't want to get it. My prayer for all of us in here, if God has a plan for us, my prayer is that we submit to it. Because what's in store? You know, I, I have sat and thought about what is in heaven and what it's going to be like. And those who will miss it, I've been teaching the youth about eschatology and I went through the great white throne judgment and I told them that when the great white throne judgment has taken place, the heaven and earth, they're going to be gone. All the heavens are going to be gone. They're going to be destroyed with a fervent heat according to Peter in his little epistle.
and we're going to be there at the great white throne. And if you can imagine just rolling hills of people, billions of people that are saved, that are part of the church, that have been resurrected from the Old Testament times, then the books are going to be open and Jesus is going to be in the center. He's on his throne. And when these books are open, he's going to judge each individual, whether they are saved, whether they're not saved, whether they did good or whether they did evil. And all of us who are saved are going to be witnesses to this judgment. And when each person goes up there and gives an account, if they fail the test, they will be thrown into the lake of fire. And we will all witness that. We will be there. And it will be a very sorrowful time. Weeping will take place on the part of those who believe and on the part of those who are condemned. One of the redeeming things of this is Isaiah 65 says, we won't remember it. Once all of this is done, God is going to make everything new. He has taken away our sinful natures. And I don't know that he wipes our memory clean. I just think that there is so much in store for us that it just doesn't come to mind. And that's what Isaiah actually says. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. And so if there are people who do not accept Jesus Christ, they will be condemned forever to hell or Gehenna. For those people who receive Jesus Christ, they will have life full of joy. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more conflict, no more war, no more arguing. We will all be loved by Jesus Christ and we will love each other. And our existence will continue like that forever. And talk about a place to live. This place is going to come down for heaven at about 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. And that's our home. And we'll talk to somebody, hey, you want to see where I live? Yeah, it's like heaven up there. And these angels are just going to be going everywhere. And it's going to be loud. And there's going to be praising going on. And by the way, you're going to shine like a star. It says that in Philippians chapter 2. I think it's verse 15. You are going to be radiating the glory of God. And there's not going to be a sun anymore. Because God is going to be the light in the universe that's there. And if we want to go somewhere, how did Jesus show up in the upper room? Yeah, with Star Trek. He just appeared in the room. What if you want to go somewhere in the future? Let's go to a place like Hawaii. Let's go to Hawaii if it existed. You're right there. The white sand, it's all. all. And you're not going to get sunburned anymore because there's no sun. You'll be able to go under the water and, whoa, look at all the fish and no scuba gear. I mean, it is just going to be great. It's going to be a fantastic existence. But people say, no, I don't want it. I love this life that is broken in this universe with my Yugo and cleaning the dashboard. I mean, what a trade-off, you know? It makes no sense except the individual might be blinded doesn't want to receive the gift of life. And so the gift of life is, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and with your mouth that you confess and are saved. The works are just a natural outflow of the gratitude that you experience because what God has done 
for us. Now, what we're going to do at this time is when Jesus was going to the cross, he was celebrating what we know as the Jewish Seder. And in the Jewish Seder, they would have four cups of wine and they would have the lamb that would be there today. They substitute chicken or they have a vegetarian plate that you can have. And, and today they, they give you a, a, um, a romaine for the bitter herbs, romaine lettuce, and you dip that in horseradish and you eat that. And there's, there's different things that they go through in this Jewish Seder. And Jesus would have been practicing this Jewish Seder with crackers like we're going to receive here, it would be unleavened bread. And he, he put down the last cup and he said, the next time I drink of this cup, it will be with you in my father's kingdom. So we're waiting for that time, the marriage supper of the lamb after the rapture of the church, where we're going to sit down and we're going to have a feast and celebrate our marriage to him. We are the bride of Christ and he's going to watch out for us. Now to commemorate the fact that he died, was buried resurrected from the dead he said this is my body which is given for you and he told his disciples and he broke it he gave it to disciples he said eat it and it's equivalent metaphorically to his body and he also said with the cup this is my blood which is given for you or to you for the remission of sins in the old testament when the blood was spilled of the lamb it was just for a covering of the sin it wasn't able to remove the guilt for all the sins that we have piled up Jesus says that his blood removes the guilt, the stain that is left behind, and he makes us white as snow. So Jesus has the power to cleanse us. All we have to do is receive the hook from the tow truck driver. So if you want to go to heaven... As this is being passed out, and the guys are going to wait until we start playing the song, and they'll dim the center lights. But as the song is being sung, you can either say, Jesus, thank you for saving me. Or you can say, Jesus, please save me. So if the worship team would come up, we're going to sing a song. And as the song is being sung, if you need to get some things Off your shoulders, you just turn to Jesus and ask him to take care of the fluff and the damage that is in your life. And he's faithful to do that. And after the song is begun, then the men will come up and they will pass out the bread and the cup. And I'd ask you to hold on to it until we can all participate in receiving it together. And Pat will come up and pray for the elements.